Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room Podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and Podcast Editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. How many of you who are going to be doctors are willing to spend your days in Ghana? Technicians or engineers, how many of you are willing to spend your lives traveling around the world? On your willingness to do that, not merely to serve one year or two years in the service, but on your willingness to contribute part of your life to this country, I think will depend the answer, whether a free society can compete. I think it can, and I think Americans are willing to contribute, but the effort must be far greater than we have ever made in the past. With those impromptu words delivered at two o'clock in the morning to a group of University of Michigan students nearly 60 years ago, John F. Kennedy launched what would eventually become the United States Peace Corps. In the succeeding six decades, over 220,000 Americans have answered the call in 142 countries. From presidential mother Lillian Carter to Netflix CEO Reed Hastings, from cabinet secretary and university president Donna Shalala to the longtime host of PBS's This Old House, Bob Vila, Peace Corps volunteers have been drawn from all walks of life to serve abroad for the United States, but for international development and in the service of international peace. In all those years, the Peace Corps has been a significant, though imperfectly understood, element of American soft power and of development policy generally. However, for the general public, understanding of the Peace Corps, certainly its origins, its development, and its future, remain something of a mystery to many Americans. Especially in our age of corona, Peace Corps volunteers have recently been withdrawn from the 61 countries in which they were serving at the beginning of this crisis, and the question remains how, if at all, the Peace Corps will continue once we return to something approaching normal. Our guest today, to help us understand the past, present, and future of the Peace Corps, uh, include several veterans of the organization and people who are connected with its public face today. They include... Brad Arsenal, who is a foreign service officer with the U.S. Agency for International Development and a current student in the U.S. Army War College's resident program class of 2020. Brad was a Peace Corps volunteer in Gabon in Africa, and after his time at the War College, will be going to Thailand to deal with Southeast Asian regional wildlife tracking and other policy questions for USAID. Joby Taylor was also a Peace Corps volunteer in Gabon, and he is the current director of the Shriver Peaceworker Fellows Program. Stephen Salm was a Peace Corps volunteer in Ukraine and directs communications for the National Peace Corps Association. And finally, Maria Carmen Smith-Martinez was a Peace Corps volunteer in Costa Rica and is the current chair of the board of directors of the National Peace Corps Association. Welcome, all of you, to A Better Peace. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ron. So uh, I want to start with the general question of how did each of you find your way to the Peace Corps? We, I mentioned where you all served, but I'm, I'm, uh, I know our listeners would like to know, well, how does one decide to 
join the Peace Corps. And I'm going to, I'm going to go in random order, reverse order from the way that I introduced you. I want to start with you, Maria Carmen. How did you find your way to the Peace Corps? My reasons for joining the Peace Corps were somewhat simplistic and somewhat idealistic. I knew that I wanted to live outside of the United States, and I knew that I wanted to help people. And as broad as that might be, I looked at a number of service opportunities and other volunteer opportunities and landed on the reputation and the history of the Peace Corps as the vehicle and and the the method to be able to to live abroad in a supported environment um, with uh, support from the U.S. government, uh, but on an individual basis out in the community doing grassroots community work. How did it end up being Costa Rica? Was that completely random or uh, or were you particularly interested in Central America? I was particularly interested in Latin America in general. I mm-hmm. was a Spanish major in, in college, and uh-huh. I was interested in furthering my language skills on the ground, in country. Um, Costa Rica itself was was random. Um, mm-hmm. it, I, it, Peace Corps has since changed its model and allows volunteers to select their country of service. But at the time that I applied and the time that I served, it was a general sector experience and uh, t- tailored to your background and and interest. So I had a general background in business development and economic growth and uh, Spanish language skills. Gotcha. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mary Carmen. Uh, Stephen, how about you? How did you find your way to the Peace Corps? So the very short answer is it was the revolutions of 89, um, kind of all wow. the transformations that were taking place in Central and Eastern Europe and then and then the fall of the, the Soviet Union. Um, it had been a part of the world that I'd really been fascinated with and studied Russian in high school and some in college. Uh, but I saw the, the transformations that were taking place in that part of the world. And it seemed to me that was the big story of the end of the 20th century. And if I could play some small part in it uh, as, a, as a writer, as a story catcher, uh, if I could help people tell their stories that had long been buried, uh, I thought maybe that that could be some some bring some value. Because I also know that if you don't tell your own story um, and give it the arc that you want to give to it, there are lots of other people who are always willing to do that for you. And you may not like how that story ends. Absolutely right. Good point. Thanks, Stephen. Joby, how about you? What uh, what what brought you to the Peace Corps? <clears throat> I'm uh, thinking I don't honestly think I knew of the Peace Corps growing up. Um, and, uh, you know, I would say deep influences, family and faith had always uh you know, led me to have a lot of community involvement and volunteerism, but didn't really think of it in the context of uh, national service yet. And after, you know, college, I had I had studied philosophy and religious studies in college, and I had also studied French. I really wanted to um, have a significant cross-cultural experience to be able to live and work alongside and um, fully kind of immerse myself in another place with other uh, people different from myself. And if I could, you know, that was my one request on my Peace Corps application was to go to a Francophone country if I mm-hmm. could. Um, this was the early 90s. And, uh, you know, HIV AIDS um, as a global, you know, tragedy uh, really was on the rise in terms of our understanding of that. So, you know, that was one 
I guess, uh, consideration that made it a difficult decision for my family and others. Um, and yeah, when I, uh, I, I just through research found the Peace Corps and thought this uh, would be a great way to basically have that experience and not from a faith-based perspective, which much of my earlier history had been. Um, so when I got the the letter of invitation to Gabon, um, you know, like a lot of Peace Corps volunteers, I went scrambling to my globe, <laughs> spinning it around and uh, saying like, I have not heard of this uh, place in the world. And I found it on a map. I was actually working at a group home for um, teenage boys that had, um, you know, gotten in some trouble and were in a mm-hmm. kind of next stage would have been uh, kind of lock up and um, so I was working with boys when I got the letter and we all went to the globe and they were fascinated to see where I would be heading. So, yeah. <laughs> see, that's, this is interesting. And of course, you know, uh, all these years later, right. You still, when you tell people you've been to Gabon, I'm sure a lot of people, the, they give you the, the polite, there's a polite long pause and a blank look as they wait for you to remind it's them. It's still one of those is, places. Right? Uh, it's one of those places. And there are a number of them where Peace Corps volunteers serve that, uh, it's still, you know, people just don't know that the, these are nations in the world. It's not common knowledge. So I love that aspect of it. I was open to kind of the adventure component of it and to the um, really the cross-cultural learning um, aspect of that. So I did realize once I scratched the surface that uh, this is where um, people might know Dr. Albert Schweitzer, mm-hmm. um, the humanitarian uh, doctor and musician. I had read his works and things. And at that time, Gabon was just loosely called uh, French Equatorial Africa. So I didn't realize I was reading about that same location. So um, there was there was a kind of a personal connect for me there once I um, once I came to live in Gabon. Right. Fantastic. Thank you. And Brad, who also ended up in Gabon. Um, and so how did you end up with with the Peace Corps? Um. My parent, my mother was an educator and my father was the executive director of a youth agency in Chicago for underprivileged kids. And so I kind of grew up in a culture of uh, human service. And when I was an undergrad, I, I'd studied English and I'd minored in French. And uh, I was really, I was, I was romantic and I was looking for adventure and looking to travel. And uh, the Peace Corps offered that opportunity. And, and like uh, most everyone else, I, I put my name in and I had no choice where I was going. And And I'm grateful that I ended up in Gabon. That was a wonderful experience. And uh, I was able to serve in a place that very few people know about or ever get to visit. Sure. You know, it's interesting as I feel like if we sat down with, uh, with all 220,000 Peace Corps volunteers, everybody has their own individual story for how they got there. But even among the four of you, um, this, the uh, the broad shared notion of both service and uh, adventure, right? Desire to get away, right? Those two things. Uh, I guess if you don't have those two things, uh, you're you're probably not going to volunteer to join the Peace Corps. You have to have other things as well. I, uh, for all of you, um, the 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 next question is: is we have the 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 quote from John Kennedy, and we the the origins of the Peace Corps are very much tied to this. The images of the new frontier. And the appeal to a younger generation to ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Um, uh, how do you feel, both uh, considering the 
relative variety of knowledge you had about the Peace Corps before you joined, but also in the time since you've come back, and especially since for many of you, you still either work with the Peace Corps or with international development. Um, how do you feel the public image of the organization has developed over time? Um, I'm going to go first to Steve, since you're the director of communication for the Peace Corps Association, but then, uh, but I'm also, um, then we'll go from there. Steve, what do you think? How has how's that image changed over time? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a great, great and really relevant question right right now, Ron, with all the, the volunteers having been evacuated from around the world in, in particular. Um, you know, I think in, in one respect, those of us who have worked with the organization see that it's it's fallen off the radar for a lot of people, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And even though, you know, there have been more than 7,000 volunteers serving around the world, uh, Peace Corps itself is kind of change the way volunteers get their assignments. As, as Mary Carmen noted already, you can actually pick, you know, this country and this assignment, and here's what I want to go, and here's what I want to do, as opposed to it being a, a little bit of a mystery for applicants in the past. <laughs> um, you know, I think the the organization, what, ha- what hasn't changed um, is the real value of the human-to-human contacts, the focus on relationships. Um, And people that kind of come to understand the organization see that no matter what technology brings, you know, whatever one can do remotely, um, which actually some of the evacuated volunteers are continuing to work with the, the countries where they've uh, the communities they had to leave behind because, you know, they, they're able to connect with, you know, WhatsApp or, you know, do Zoom meetings or, you know, provide advice. Um, but they come to realize, yeah, it's actually building these relationships in a community over the course of two years. There's really no way to replace that. Um, and that's one of the things that has really, I think, sustained the organization is kind of remains, remains core to its identity. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't I pause there and see if others want to maybe add okay. that? Um, Maria Carmen, I want to I want to toss it over to you. When you when you deal with people who uh, uh, members of the association, when they come back, um, when they move on to the rest of their lives, is there a, is there a sense of mission among Peace Corps volunteers to explain the organization to the broader world so that it doesn't fall off the radar? That's a great question, and absolutely yes. Peace Corps itself does training to help volunteers reintegrate back into mm-hmm. the United States, which is often more challenging for our return volunteers than, than joining the Peace Corps <laughs> and, and going out and being ready for that adventure when you're serving. Right. So there, there is this driving sense to continue the mission of the Peace Corps, which, which in fact has three goals. Two are really focused on the service aspect and that two and a quarter years The third goal is one that we call bringing the world home. Mm. And the third goal is really for life. So there is this this driving sense to share the experience, to teach people in the United States about wherever it is that you served, um, or to teach them a different side. In in my case, I served in in Costa Rica. Many people have been there to vacation. My frequent, uh, the reaction that I get when people learn that I served there is, oh, well, you're on vacation for two years. And mm. that's my opportunity to, to 
course correct and, and explain right. another side of the country and explain a, a different role. So there's there's a lot of that that driving need. I guess I'm still doing it, right? Right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well that's why that's how we're able to lure you to get on this program. Absolutely right. No. Well that's that's an excellent an uh, an excellent point, right? Because the idea of you know when the when young people when uh, when when Peace Corps volunteers go abroad, right? The idea that they're going someplace exotic can sound like, well, that must be a lot of fun, but we know that it's it's not just fun. And Brad, this is why I want to bring you in on this too, both sort of where you served is what is your sense of the, we talk about the public image of the Peace Corps, but what about the the practical activities of a Peace Corps volunteer, right? So based on your own experience, but also your understanding of how, if at all, those have changed over time. Like you, you take a young person who's got uh, a sense of adventure and a desire to serve um, and a uh, an interest in development, and then what does the Peace Corps have them do? Um, you know, based on your own experience. Um, well, you know, starting starting personally, um, Joby and I in Gabon, we were in a it was called a rural primary school construction program, mm-hmm. and so this was a program that had started, I believe, in 1962 and continued for quite a long time. Um, you know, I had I had a decent construction background. I was a a, a union guy over the summer times, uh, when I was an undergrad, uh-huh. you know, not, not a, not a, you know, I wasn't an architect or a building construction major, but I could get my head around the, uh, the, the schools that we were constructing and we were doing teacher housing. And so I saw our role. It was a great exchange. Um, we were transferring technical skills, really basic construction skills to really remote villages in Gabon. And the program did, uh, it did its job. It worked itself out of a job, um, as far as I know, the, the program was eventually taken over by the Ministry of Education there, and, um, and they began to build their own schools. Um, you know, that's just one experience, and maybe some other folks can weigh in on this, but I think the majority of volunteers teach English, which is also a great life skill uh, to exchange to any nation, to improve your English skills and make you more marketable in a global economy and um, improve your education levels. Um, and volunteers do everything from uh, fish, fish, like, well, in Gabon, they were doing fish farming, um, public health, uh, education, and that was English, math, sciences. Um, and then, uh, you know, as, as the Peace Corps developed and the former Soviet Union collapsed, I think, uh, say, in uh, Steve's group, there was a lot more of um, a kind of small and medium enterprise development going on in the former Soviet Union. So a lot of people with business backgrounds and I, I think still English and maybe I'll stop there if somebody else wants to okay. comment. Joby, um, you know, since you were, since you were also there in Gabon, I'm, I'm interested. Do you guys were involved in the same projects of you and Brad as volunteers? In uh, separate areas, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I've thought uh, I did not continue a career of international development, although I worked a lot with global studies students and with, right that transition of uh, service abroad to service back um, home on the home front, particularly in Baltimore city, ah, um, right. which I can say a little bit about, but um, you know, as I've thought about that rural school construction project, international development is such a complex ethical and technical, uh, you know, field. It, um, but you know, this, this project was about as simple and um, it, it, ethically um, sensible, you know, as, as I've seen since the idea mm-hmm. was to try to curb a little bit of urbanization in a uh, nation that was still largely rural and by building quality schools and teachers houses in the interior. And if, you know, some families uh, stayed 
um, local longer, then, um, you know, that might lead to less uh, infrastructure issues in capital cities. It might lead to less culture and language loss. Gabon has like 60 uh, languages in a, you know, country of just a million or so uh, people. And you can imagine when people converge in a single capital city within a generation, kind of what the uh, loss is there. Um, so, you know, it felt like uh, the this was all locally determined, of course, by the Gabonese Ministry of Education. But um, and it wasn't without, you know, uh, kind of uh, big questions, you know. Um, but one thing about the Peace Corps is it it uh, you're so place based, you know, you're just with uh, local folks working collaboratively on uh, projects, whether they're education or, you know, brick and mortar. And um, they're they're kind of slow moving. Peace Corps kind of <laughs> says, "Don't just do something. Sit there, you know. Like get to know people, and uh, don't rush in. Like um, right. really establish trust, build relationships. Don't assume you know what needs to be done, and you know let the projects kind of unfold. And that's true for a lot of Peace Corps volunteers' experiences. Um, one thing I was going to mention when I several years after I returned from Gabon, I did began doing working for the Shriver Center, which was Mm -hmm. Sergeant Shriver and uh, Eunice Kennedy Shriver. But Sarge had been the first director of the Peace Corps and really along with Harris Wolford and some other um, individuals were kind of the architects of the Peace Corps as we know it. And I, as Mark Harmon was saying, those, that, that overall goal of, you know, um, establishing world peace and friendship through, cross-cultural learning, two of the goals are, are cross-cultural, and then through de- collaborative development projects, um, has stayed intact for almost 60 years now. And it's not because it hadn't been reviewed, but I think there was kind of an elegance to it. And as I got to know uh, Sarge in, in his later years and uh, um, some of the um, Shriver family and people like Harris Wolford, I really did realize that core concept was that uh, peace, you know, when you say, if you ask what's the peace in the Peace Corps, I'd say that uh, it's on a very micro scale, but the concept that I think was very much embedded in Sarge's idea when he was designing it was that peace follows service and service that's Mm -hmm. collaborative and relationship-based and that bridges differences of language and culture and class and everything um, that peace follows that kind of immersive collaborative service. And right. I'd say that's the spirit of the Peace Corps. That's what attracts the idealism in uh, folks today. And it, it's hard, you know, it turns into hard work on the ground, but I, I think there's a, a basic a trust in that core concept that has endured for those 60 years. See, that's, that's, that's a great way to put it. And, and of course, there's, there's two different questions that come to mind about this. I mean, one is, I'm curious for all of you, um, uh, whether you have gone back to the places that you served as volunteers to see whether any of the things that you did, uh, like, on, on a very basic level, right, are those, are those houses for the teachers still there in Gabon? Um, but uh, but I'll, I'll I'll set that aside for a second if anybody wants to jump on that later. But the the question of um, how over time, if there are uh, constant uh, principles behind the Peace Corps, like you've mentioned from Sergeant Shriver, from Harris Walford, um, that uh, is it possible or uh, do do cities uh, do do countries and regions essentially graduate 
from the Peace Corps in the sense that the United States then no longer sends volunteers there. Steve, you had your um, your hand up a second ago, and I'm, I'm curious what you want to say both to what you've heard from Joby and also to the question that I just asked. Yeah, well, so I'll start with the, the question that you, you just asked, Ron, which is which is a, a great one that, yes, it, it does happen, right? I mean, countries will, will develop, um, you know, maybe it'll be an economic infrastructure or social infrastructure, and then they feel like, you know, they've mutually it may be agreed that this program can end sometimes countries will will feel like maybe from a perception issue they're they're not as interested mm-hmm. in having peace corps volunteers there anymore um so so because that suggests a, de- a level of underdevelopment that they they want to they 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 have they have a different sense of their place in the world exactly so you know for example from from my part of the world where i've spent spent so much of my life since since i went there with peace corps you know russia was uh, happy to show peace corps the door uh, by the end of the end of the 20th century, uh, that uh, they didn't want to feel like that they needed development aid from the United States, um, right? But you know, th- but the fact is, so that's sort of one of the levels of perception that that comes with Peace Corps. But you know, again, what, what uh, I think all of us have, have been saying again, again and again, underscoring in the the elegance of the mission. Yeah, there's that transfer of technical skills and ability, or you know, teaching methodologies, et cetera, that that comes as part of the the program but the other two goals is you know building understanding um, that's never going to go away um, you know as long as we're trying to trying to build peace and friendship around the world and and I think you know as I was listening to, to, to Joby kind of come back to his personal experience working with Sarge um, what also struck me is how in recent months, you know, yes, we've had all these Peace Corps volunteers evacuated and brought back to the United States, um, but we've also seen at, at this moment in time in the United States um, these increasing calls for national service, and mm-hmm. people again and again citing the model of the Peace Corps and and also wanting to put these evacuated Peace Corps volunteers to work, helping with contact tracing or you know work with the pandemic, kind of understanding you've got thousands of people who have uh, uh, shown a commitment to, to public service and have, in some cases, have hands-on experience working in public health. Uh, so I think the sort of that, that elegance of the model and the skills it cultivates and the quality of empathy that, uh, that it nurtures, uh, these are really, mm-hmm. really important. Absolutely. Well, and, and then come back to you, uh, uh, Buddy Carmen, right? The, uh, the role of organizations, uh, such as the, uh, the National Peace Corps Association in keeping the, uh, the memory of the organization alive or the knowledge of the organization. And also as a, as a force for, uh, lobbying within the United States government and within society for its continued significance, right? How does the, how does the Peace Corps Association, um, imagine the, the future of the Peace Corps? Um, so after, you know, if we assume that we will eventually return to something like normal, what will the Peace Corps want to do in a post-COVID world when volunteers can still go, can go back out into the world? That's, I realize that's a, a big question. Relevant, right? Yeah, very relevant question right now. A monumental question, if you will. <laughs> um, but I think in terms of what will volunteers do to help after we go back to normal. I think mm. that volunteers will help be a part of the process to build the new normal. Mm-hmm. And that there is an opportunity to leverage uh, the technical skills and, and other 
aspects of service to to be able to establish what how we recover from this as a as mm-hmm. globally so all here in the united states and elsewhere um so i think that it's it's going to be a, a monumental challenge for peace corps to reestablish uh, across the globe and the national peace corps association is is committed to supporting that reentry into to countries of service and supporting the the appropriations necessary to make it possible um, and supporting the outreach for for volunteers to um, to continue to serve and being able to provide that opportunity I think there's a big sense of, of purpose with volunteers not only to with return volunteers not only to ensure that we are teaching people here about where we served and, and what the people, with whom we served are like and what their lives are like, but also ensuring that we're providing a path forward for new volunteers to serve. And and we're making that opportunity and we're making sure that they have the opportunity to learn about the world and and to take take the world out or take the United States out into the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, NPCA is a big part of ensuring that future. Absolutely. And and, uh, even though the volunteers have been brought back. And even though essentially their time as Peace Corps volunteers is officially over, the assumption is the Peace Corps as an organization continues to exist and will will be bringing in, will be taking in new classes of volunteers whenever the time comes that the green light is given for them to go back out. Is that, uh, that, is, is that my correct assumption? I throw that out to the, to the group. Full steam ahead. Full steam ahead. All right, Joby. <laughs> I think the, um, you know, of course, uh, this is unprecedented to have a global evacuation. Uh, that mm-hmm. was, you know, I think uh, Director Olson, that was a very difficult, painful and necessary decision. But it's one that, of course, um, you know, the infrastructure and the presence that, um, you know, was in over 60 countries um, that is kind of on ice or is lost from that evacuation, um, of course, it uh, means that we're in a, a really key moment for the return Peace Corps community to be um, ready to support those volunteers who are here now and to support the agency as it plans uh, to return, uh, you know, to its work around the world. So I think it's a moment that's, um, you know, filled with potential, but also with uh, natural fears about um, the momentum and uh, that it will take to kind of reestablish programming around the world. But uh, right. that just means we need to redouble our commitment right now. It's so important. I think um, wherever volunteers have served, you mentioned over 140 countries and it's 60 years um, in many of those areas, not all, but in many um, Peace Corps volunteers are the only significant American presence in those places. Mm-hmm. And even in countries where um, there is other American presence, Peace Corps volunteers tend to live and serve and uh, work in areas that are far more remote or aren't necessarily where there are larger um, presence or community of Americans. So there's a large loss, not just for those Peace Corps volunteers who are evacuated, but for our larger United States, um, you know, our nation, really. Right. And so the, the, the hope is that uh, that same spirit of, uh, of enthusiasm and idealism and desire to serve 
will because that spirit is still there that there will we will all find a way to continue this practical work uh, going forward into the future. I want to say thank you to all of you for joining us today uh, on a better piece. Unfortunately, I uh, as I look at the old shadow on the wall, we are about out of time. But mm -hmm. uh, Brad Arsenal, Joby Taylor, Stephen Salm, Maria Carmen uh, uh, Smith-Martinez, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about your work with the Peace Corps and about the future of the organization. Real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having us. Thanks yeah, for the thank opportunity you, to share. You bet. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and on all our programs. Send us your suggestions for future programs. We're always interested in hearing from you. And please, uh, if you have listened to this program, please subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice and rate and review this podcast because that's how other people can find their way to us as well so that we can continually grow our audience so that we can find new ways to inform, to enlighten, and to entertain. Uh, for future conversations, we look forward to seeing you back here. But until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear even more great content, subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.